Thank you, Arctic Acoustic. I love the music. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Hanging with History. This is Season 1, That Miracle That Happened, That One Time. And this is Episode 13, Weaving, Athena and the Norns, Metis. Weaving, making clothes, an age-old human activity ever since there got to be too many of us to wear animal skins. All societies had some skill in it. All had some industry based on it. Think about Athena and Ariadne. It's always been a vital need. Wherever it's hot, people need protection from the sun. Where it's cold, they need to preserve body heat. And yet, making clothing takes time away from producing food, and if you aren't producing food, 80 to 90% of you, there is starvation for most of human history. Bummer, man. As a cottage industry, something you do during the long winter nights when there is no useful farm work to be done, well, maybe that's how most people did it. Though that's terribly inefficient. Terribly. Far better for a skilled someone to do it. To make better clothes. More variety. More durability. Cheaper. More colors than we can make for ourselves down on the farm or up in the castle. You need a way to feed those highly skilled weavers who clothe us. If only there was some way, some scheme whereby one person or region could specialize in weaving while others specialize in growing food for the weavers, some way in which we could all be better dressed and better fed than if we had to do it all for ourselves. Of course, I'm describing trade. The farmer and the weaver are both better off. It's easy, in theory. But if the trade doesn't exist already, how does it get started? Because it's really hard to scale up if you haven't already invented efficient transportation and preservation of food. So before that, in the Middle Ages, the Netherlands, roughly modern Belgium and the Netherlands, were the richest part of Europe due to advanced weaving secrets practiced by the Flemish. Actually, the people in places like Holland along the coast were still quite poor. Their soil was poor, there was so much flooding the landscape constantly changing as the waters flowed unpredictably. The Flemish weavers, though, were really good. Trade was stimulated. The finished cloth needed to go to buyers. The wool, the flax, the dyes, and other chemicals needed to get to the weavers. But moving goods was expensive and dangerous. The farmland around Flanders was intensively cultivated, as well as medieval technology and knowledge allowed. And still, that technology though it had improved from the days of Charlemagne, with a horse collar and a heavy moldboard plow, better veterinary science, eh, it was pretty poor. It wasn't very good. It couldn't support many weavers. Something. Something had to change. We know that one of the very first industries transformed by the miracle was clothing production. Some histories of the Industrial Revolution read like a story of textile mills and fabrics as if making affordable clothing was the secret behind the most important event in human history, as if it starts and ends with the spinning jenny. Our miracle. It's important, obviously. If necessities like food and clothing become cheap, you begin to have enough left over for luxuries, like education, books, teachers, things like that. This is the beginning of the Dutch R special episodes. A miracle, a eucatastrophe, is going to happen. It's going to evolve out of a complicated story of technological development, trade, ideology, war, and sheer human grit. 
I only hope I can do justice to it. Today, I had a really good breakfast. Most weekend mornings, I eat like a king. Cammie makes a scramble of eggs with vegetables. That's just about my ideal breakfast. It starts with bacon, of course, and for that we can thank Jesus. I only say that half facetiously, since I think the modern world could not have been achieved with the ancient Mediterranean worldview. Judaism was a sufficient advance, maybe. Remember how appealing it was in the ancient world? You can't kill children and have to be faithful in marriage? That was episode three, but we can't run the counterfactual, so we don't know. But we don't know if the miracle could have been achieved without the idea of love that Christianity brought to the mix. We were on the way with Judaism, rapidly growing in the first century, but there was no bacon on that road, so thank you, early Christians. Then onions are sautéed with the bacon. Chopped vegetables go in next. It's not just good. It makes the breakfast more sustainable for a lifetime. Then the eggs, beaten with milk, spices, which vary. Yeah, the spices, another part of our story. And cheese near the end. Blueberries on the side. Of course, we would never have been able to make breakfast without coffee. Cammie takes hers with milk and sugar, and I take mine with goat milk. Hey, don't judge me. The eggs come from the Central Valley, about 150 miles away, and probably have been refrigerated since gathered, though it isn't strictly necessary. The goat milk comes from Turlock. The regular milk and vegetables probably also come from the Central Valley. Agriculture might not be the first thing you think of when you think of California, but agriculture is very productive here and fills much of the state. The bacon could come from farther away. The salt cure makes it last, but it is also refrigerated. The spices come from far away. The desire for spice has driven a great deal of world history. The blueberries from Mexico. The cheese could be from anywhere. In my fridge, there's cheese from Ireland, Spain, Normandy, and Brunost from Norway is always there, but never with eggs. The desire for spice has driven a great deal of world history. Coffee is another engine of history. I can say that about spices, and you immediately make associations. The East India Company, Vasco da Gama, Columbus, Venice, the Silk Road. There's a lot of romance there. Sugar. Cami just takes a spoonful, but sugar drove a great demographic change. It populated the Americas. And I don't just mean sugar-growing areas like Brazil and the Caribbean. The sugar producers were a key export market for the 13 colonies, and that export market helped make the people living in the 13 colonies the world's richest per capita at that time. The high wages Americans could command made intensive automation more practical there than anywhere else in the world. The power loom, for example, as a piece of machinery in textile making, was so expensive that it only made sense to use them in an American context at first. The desire for spice has driven a great deal of world history. I can say that and you understand it. Spice was traded very expensively. From Southeast Asia to India, via Arab or Persian traders to the Ottomans or Egyptians to the Venetians. Everyone, every step of the way, taking a cut, a profit margin of their own. So, of course, it made sense for the Portuguese to use their superior ships and amazing personal qualities. Uh, let me recommend Roger Crowley's Conquerors, if you want to see a great people in action. 
No other way to describe the Portuguese. They were great, insanely brave and resourceful. So it made sense for the Portuguese to disrupt the existing arrangement. And the Portuguese brought the spices to Flanders for further distribution in Northern Europe. We're talking early 16th century here. So we are back to the Dutch. The Dutch are already trading the spices across Europe that the Portuguese bring to them. So when the wars that we'll talk about cuts off Portuguese spices, the Dutch still want to trade spices. They know how. They have the distribution. They just need the source. The costs of transporting the spices halfway around the world to Europe plunged with the Portuguese. And so the price of spices fell so that the poor could afford them, and consumption of spices increased and everyone's lives got better. Oh, wait, no. Oh, that didn't happen, darn it. While my admiration for the Portuguese is almost limitless, as men and heroes, they bestrode the world like a colossus from ancient legend. I have to say that they were shit businessmen. They didn't cut prices. They kept all the increased profit in the spice trade that came from lower costs for themselves. Really, they did. It blows the mind. They maximized their own profit. Consumer utility was not maximized. It's always a mistake to underestimate long-run elasticities, as Tyler Cohen says. And so, when some Spanish-Dutch history, which we'll get into, cut the Dutch off from Portuguese spices, the Dutch formed their own East India Company to go get them directly from the source. The Dutch were heroes too, and they beat the Portuguese, and they took the spice trade, and they cut prices and took more reasonable profits, and it was more sustainable, and they dominated not just the spice trade, but all seaborne trade. Until the English did. But that comes later. And when the Dutch cut prices, poor people could afford them. And they ate better. Their lives improved. Consumer utility increased, as an economist would say. The desire for spice has driven a great deal of world history. You can understand when I say that how true it is. And yet, isn't it a strange framing? It's certainly also got to be better shipbuilding and navigation and it took incredible bravery to run the risks of world travel with 16th century technology, but we understand it to be the desire for spice. People take pleasure in eating. It's the kind of hobbit we are. Better tasting food. Yeah, I want that. If you provide it, I will buy it. Anyone would, if it's cheap enough, if I can afford it. So we understand a human desire as a motive force in history. Keep that in mind. Our desire drove the spice trade. And what about art? I mean great art. Masterpieces. The incredible statues, paintings, plays, poems, Netflix. Does this lesson from spice apply to art? We tend to focus on the creator, the genius. At least I usually do. But what's the role of the audience? We want to be entertained distracted. We want the sublime experience of greatness. We want to feel our minds expand, that galaxy brain feeling. We want laughter, we want beauty, we are drawn to it. We've covered how that urge is not a uniformly beneficial one. I'm not trying to drag platonic philosophy into this. All learning is remembering, unquote. Oh, I guess I just did. Well, it's worth thinking about. 
Breaking out of a stable equilibrium is difficult. Easy to say, because we hardly ever see it. Yudkowsky has a great book on the topic, Inadequate Equilibria. And yet something made it happen in the 15th century in the Netherlands. The Netherlands were ruled by the Burgundian royal house, a rich source of tax revenue for the lucky Burgundian royals, the richest. This was one of the most highly urbanized areas in Europe. Rich by weaving, rich by trade, art flourished. Jan van Eck and Hieronymus Bosch are two familiar names from this early period. You've seen their paintings. You might be familiar with the term Flemish Renaissance. The weaving and trading cities began to grow. Bruges, Antwerp, and others were leading the world. The Flemish were the richest people in the world now and control over the region passed from the Burgundians to the Habsburgs by marriage and death. And that meant they were now ruled by the most formidable military and naval power in the world, Habsburg Spain. Habsburg Spain had recently conquered the rich parts of North and South America, shortly after expelling the Moors from the Iberian Peninsula, the Moors and the Jews, they had their fort and trading post in Manila, where they traded Mexican silver for the riches of China. The black ship, they called it, once a year. And that voyage generated more revenue than many European countries raised in a year. The people in the urban zones of Flanders were eating a lot more than the Flemish countryside could produce. At this time, getting enough to eat, a major problem. And while the Flemish were getting richer, they weren't rich enough to import food from all over. No one was. And who had spare food anyway? No one had it reliably, not reliably enough. Imagine being over the Malthusian limit for several years in a row whenever famine, politics, or war in the 15th century interferes with trade. It just is not possible. So it never happened. Cities are population sinks at this time. What an image, a population sink. What happened instead was a combination of miracle and invention. First, the great herring shoals of the Baltic moved out to the North Sea because something, aliens, divine intervention, climate change, we have no idea, but this was very consequential. And those people living north of Flanders and Holland and Zealand got busy with the inventing. They did something the people in the Baltic never did. They learned to cooperate on water management. They dug canals, built dikes and windmills, invented locks, and used the windmills to pump water. They began to change some of Europe's poorest agricultural land and turn it into some of the richest. And we'll cover some of the changes in agriculture in later episodes. First, we'll cover the key, the precondition to Dutch greatness. They called it the mother trade. I'll say it again, the mother trade. Even then... They understood it to be the foundational trade on which all else rested. The trade was Dutch-caught herring for Baltic grain. I feel like half of you will stop listening when I explain the herring trade. But will you listen to a story of technological innovation, complex supply networks, brandy, war, and pirates? Lots of pirates. The people engaged in the Flemish cloth and trading industry traditionally relied on France for the grain they needed to live. But famine, war, politics, ugh, French politics, especially French politics, 
made depending on French grain a loser's game. Remember what happened to the papacy, probably the most powerful institution in Europe when I described it as running into the buzzsaw of French politics? So the Baltic, the great rivers draining to the Baltic Sea, the Oder, Vistula, Divina, drained an area that produced a grain surplus, the hard way. The oppression of the serfs in Slavic countries was severe. And if more grain was to be grown, just make the serfs work harder. Even as yields declined as the climate worsened, they kept up the export trade on the backs of oppressed serfs. Remember I told you how after the Black Death serfdom died in England but got a new life on the continent as rulers screwed down ever harder on their remaining serfs? Now, you might object that some of the grain was grown in Germany and Germans aren't Slavic. Well, there's an old joke that says a Prussian is a Slav who's forgotten who his grandfather was. No matter how the grain was obtained, it fed the growing populations of Flanders and the Dutch Republic reliably. Though there was war. Mighty war fleets to let the Hanseatic cities, especially Lübeck, know that their time was past. The Hanseatic trade monopoly broke, just like that. And pirates, the huge herring fleets that the Dutch relied on, were choice targets for pirates. Charles V, Habsburg Emperor and Holy Roman Emperor, was informed by his doctor that the Dutch made more gold and silver from their herring fleets than the rest of his empire did from digging it out of the ground. This couldn't have been literally true, but you get the idea. I mean, he commanded the greatest gold and silver mines in the world, but still. The Dutch came up with a series of technological innovations. Gibbing was what they called preserving the fish at sea, which allowed the fishing fleets to stay out for months instead of just overnight. This would be a huge increase in efficiency and an opportunity to get better at fishing. Think of the 80,000 hours concept. Do anything for 80,000 hours and you become truly expert. They also left some of the digestive system intact, which supposedly made the Dutch herring taste better than any other herring. If you know for a fact how that works, email to hangingwithhistorypodcast at gmail.com. My sources flatly contradict one another, so please help if you are an expert. Anyway, they had an enormous fleet of what were called herring buses, like 400 by the mid 16th century. These were technological marvels by the standards of the time. Very long compared to width, described by one source as a development of Viking longships style. They became super efficient with uh, minimal demands on crew, bringing down costs, making salted herring available to the masses. Ugh, you say. But at the time, many regarded it as a kind of folk medicine that gave health and strength. They also had an innovative specialized bulk trade ship called the Flute, which minimized the demands on crew. They were built by the hundreds. Uh, I think this statistics come from about 1600, but applies earlier also. The Dutch had over 1500 ships trading in the Baltic. And for reference, that year the English had 21. 1500 to 21. So the Dutch were dominating northern European trade. No wonder the Portuguese were trading their Asian spices there at Antwerp. The herring trade used imported salt, imported wood for the barrels and ships. They drank imported brandy. In an interesting side story, the Dutch invested in distilleries in Bordeaux to make brandy. 
because they knew Northern Europe would be a great market. And France encouraged it as they were financially struggling for much of this time. People of the time said that the port towns of France were more Dutch than French. Another exaggeration, maybe, but a telling one. A shipbuilding industry arose with much manufacturing of sails, blocks, cables, ropes, along with the ships themselves that outproduced all of Europe. And when things got bad, and they are going to get bad, all those ships, all that capacity to build more ships, secure food supplies, all those trained mariners meant you had the biggest and best navy when push came to shove, since most of the warships were just merchant ships fitted with cannon at that time. And everyone thought that Spain had the biggest fleets. Well, Spain owned the Netherlands. Everyone thought Spain owned the Netherlands. Even the Dutch thought so. Funny how these things keep getting confused in history. Calvinists were unusually clear-thinking, though. Charles V had inherited the Burgundian throne, and the Netherlands came with that. He inherited Spain and Austria and Sicily and Milan and just a lot more and was Holy Roman Emperor. So it was natural for him to think he owned the Netherlands too. Everyone thought so. But, well, Calvinism. Protestantism was bad enough. Calvinism, though. Calvinism, though. Rich and capable people fired up with a new ideology that made everyone work hard and give their best. Imagine that. Every man a prophet and a priest. Every man a close friend of God. It made everyone educated. It made them think for themselves. People on the bleeding edge of technology. Anyone like this around today? Were they going to be kept down by a medieval-minded Spain? the biggest and most powerful empire in the world, with gold and silver flowing like rivers, full of their own brand of religious authoritarianism, in command of the one thing no one ever expects? Find out next week. Okay, we'll figure it out. <laughs> so, Cammy, you heard our slightly modified episode 13. No guests on this particular episode? Yeah, what happened to all those wonderful readers and family members and, and people we don't hear from all the time? It's an experiment. We're doing it for this episode and the next. And then we'll see. Okay. All that talk about breakfast. I, I, I think I now know why you married me. They say a way to a man's heart is through his stomach. Definitely. I, I guess I know what's up around our house now. Discussion of the Dutch agriculture and spices and dominating trade in the seas was uh, interesting to me. I, I didn't realize how influential they were. Yeah, they were the richest and most advanced uh, people in the world for a while. You know, I, I did not realize that. So that was really cool to me. I liked that discussion, it, and it makes me want to go visit. We'll have to do that soon. Perhaps. As soon as we're allowed. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll see. Right. But that, to me, was very interesting and, and painted a nice picture for me. Thank you. Good.